Nope. Uh, joining us right now, a little earlier for a Tuesday, but he's a busy man as the uh, heads back to work at the uh, Capitol, friend of the show, State Representative Walter Hudson. Good morning, sir. I hope you had a good Easter. I did. It was very nice to be away, and I'm trying to rev myself up for coming back. I bet. I bet. Before we, um, I have a really lengthy piece from MinPost. There's a couple of funny um, items uh, in this, but it's basically what's left in this legislative session, and I've highlighted a few things, and we can get into it. I do want to ask you a question. Uh, a friend of the show, uh, Sean, just um, just tweeted this out, and I want to make sure I got to it. Uh, could you please ask uh, Walter Hudson if they plan to legislate vaccine mandates for Minnesota's uh, public schools? I know that was talked about quite a bit during the election cycle, around the election cycle, but um, has anything moved through at all? Has there been any discussion of that whatsoever? I have not heard anything along those lines, which is a fairly decent indication that it's not happening, because I have to imagine that that's something that uh, would trigger our side um, pretty substantially. So uh, I, I would be I, it's we're never safe as long as the legislature is in session. Um, but I have not heard any rumblings that that's coming down the pike. Um, and I also wanted to, and again, we'll get into some more specificity here on on a certain on, on a few issues of what's left. But um, covered a story yesterday about ranked choice voting, and I was pleasantly surprised that it seems like that particular issue, as of right now, is not moving forward during this legislative session. Um, can you provide a little bit more uh, a little more details on that? No, I mean, so we've seen examples of this sort of thing happen before where an issue that is progressing or a bill that's progressing through the legislature all of a sudden just kind of up and disappears. And from our perspective in the minority, of course, we're never going to be privy to the behind the scenes machinations of why that is. But one can reasonably infer that's because they don't have the vote. Uh, that's why they're not moving forward with it. Is that they don't have a unified uh, caucus on the position of ranked choice voting. You know, something that we've talked about over the course of the uh, of this legislative session when you've when you've joined the show, whether it's issues with um, what's happening here in Minnesota or society as a whole, they really do mirror each other. And as we get into um, you and others returning uh, today from uh, the break for Easter and Pasto, uh, Passover, there's a lot of things that you have to get to. But it's currently my like my takeaway, and this relates to a lot of stuff nationally. Um, the DFL really only wanted to further divide during this legislative session beyond passing what they wanted to pass. And, and in that ensure that there would be no common ground to be, to be found. And I think that's, um, for lack of a better way to describe it, sort of part, uh, part and parcel for what's happening on a nationwide level as well. But that's kind of my takeaway so far in this. I know they've passed a lot of what they wanted to pass. We're getting down, not necessarily to the wire you have until May 22nd, but it seems pretty clear that they wanted to ensure that there was no common ground at, at all, especially looking towards future elections. Um, any, um, any thoughts on that? Well, I mean, it's always difficult to speak to motives. I mean, you you can infer them, and I think 80% of the time you're going to be correct when you're trying to infer the motive from the actions that the Democrats are taking. But what, what I would say is that my takeaway or one of my many takeaways from this experience of being in the legislature as a first-term member uh, is that the Democrats have leaned into deeply unpopular policies. So if you go down the list, you look at the PRO Act, you look at the, their abortion law, um, abortion on demand right through birth. And I do mean through birth, like potentially a few minutes after, half an hour after. Who knows? Who cares? It's all the same in the dumpster, right? 
um, banning 80% of current energy production, claiming that you want to go carbon free, but not pursuing nuclear. Um, these are deeply unpopular policies, but they're leaning into them anyway. And they're doing so after an election that they barely won. I mean, by less than a thousand votes, some of these races, uh, they barely won. And so what that says to me is that the, the way of looking at governing that seems to dominate the Republican consciousness, certainly here in this state, you know, at least from my perspective as an activist going back several years, more than a decade, um, we have always been very tepid and very careful and very cautious, and we tiptoe through the daisies, and we don't want to offend anybody. And, and when, um, in the rare instance where we do get power, it's all about making sure we don't rock the boat and we don't do anything that's going to take anybody off so that we can keep the majority or keep the governorship or whatever it is we're trying to keep. Um, and then we lose uh, inevitably because that's what happens. Things cycle and we haven't accomplished anything or we haven't accomplished nearly as much as we could have if we had just leveraged the power that we had in the moment. And the Democrats don't have that problem no. because they, they understand what this is about. This is about using power, not just getting it, using it. And they'll campaign. They, they might poll test their messaging in order to get elected, in order to lie to you so that you'll vote for them. Um, but what they're not going to poll test, what they're not going to focus group is what they're actually going to do, because they don't care what you think about what they're actually going to do. Their intention is to use the power they have while they have it. How do you how, how do how do we reconcile? Because I agree with you, but how do we reconcile in future elections? Because if we are, if the right, if Republicans are to win elections, you are you know you're going to have to get a larger portion of individuals to get out there and vote to you know beat the other side. I'm speaking to the obvious here. Um, right. The 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 left does a very very good job of motivating their base in going out and being fired up over that because they seem to coalesce around each other much better than Republicans do. And I don't want to turn this into a it's tough because it seems to be the battle that the GOP always, always has as we get stuck on certain issues. And you're right. When they get into power, they kind of want to make everybody happy. They don't want to do wide sweeping, you know, sweeping things and sort of abuse that power. But at the same time, I think there's an argument to be made as you laid out that, well, you need to keep the base fired up. You need to keep them motivated. You have to go and get something done. And I know on this show, even right now being in the minority, there is still this. And we've talked about it. And it seems to also come up in our conversations every week. Frustration from a handful of individuals, relatively speaking, who feel like the GOP and the legislature is not doing enough, even though you don't have the the power. And so I just I, I, I don't know how we reconcile that and if we can reconcile that between now and the next um, election of getting everybody on board. Well, I mean, I think what you need to do is you need to cast a vision and it needs to be a unifying vision that gets people excited and that they're willing to go out there and work, put in the work that's going to be necessary in order to be successful in 2024, because it is going to take work. It's going to take long, boring, hard work. <laughs> yeah. And in, and in order to motivate people to do long, boring, hard work, you have to give them a vision for what it's all for. You know, guys working on a construction site, they've got a blueprint. They know they, they, they know that each day's work is building towards manifesting this, this vision that's laid out on the page. And I think for us here in Minnesota, it, it, it almost writes itself, right? Because it's just a contrast to what's currently being done by the Democrats. The Democrats are, are acting extremely unseriously 
and deeply unsustainably. Their plan is to spend everything as if there is no tomorrow. And it turns out there is a tomorrow, and we're all going to have to live in it. Uh, and there's going to be a, an incredibly impactful and deleterious effect upon our families, our communities, our institutions, our school districts. And people know it. Even the Democrats' constituency knows it. They'll say it. They'll whisper it in corners privately in the Capitol, and you might catch them doing it. But they know that this is not going to work. This is not going to sustain long term. And so what we need to do is we need to cast a vision for how to do this thing reasonably, sustainably, uh, and to, to have serious stewardship of the state going forward. And, you know, I've talked about ways to do that uh, in, in past shows, and that's what I'm going to continue to talk about. But I, I think that for, for Republicans, you know, we need to be we need to be casting a vision of not just kind of the nuts and bolts um technical aspects of what that looks like but what it enables in terms of quality of life like we want to have a, a a state where you can raise your family with pride where you can pursue your happiness meaningfully where you where you can fulfill purpose right these are things that are motivating and i think that far too often we get stuck in the weeds of trying to describe how we're going to do this and how we're going to do that and, and fail to provide people with a sense of moral promise and moral conviction that this is the right thing to do and that you ought to come with us if you want to live. Yeah, it's a, it's it's going to be and it, and it's always it always has been. But now more than ever, it's going to continue to be a difficult struggle for the GOP to, again, coalesce around a big vision because you still have. And this is not and I, and I want to be clear here. I'm not I'm not picking a side. I'm just sort of laying out the, the landscape as I see it as a as a talk show host. But you still have the individuals who feel like, well, we need to cater to particular issues because those are losing arguments. And it almost feels like we're going to have to put a lot of the minutia aside for a larger vision to see if we can get enough people on board to win some elections in the future. Because, for example, you know, I'm looking at this piece from from um, MinPost talking about the remaining legislative session. Um, they say Democrats have you're not invited. You're not included. Apparently, Walter Democrats have plenty of unanswered uh, questions left to address. I'm um, starting with the big one. How exactly to spend the Paul Bunyan size $17.5 billion surplus when writing the next two year budget? It feels like the DFL has done a very, very good job, if not designed by design, they've just done this, of pushing forward on a lot of over-the-top distractions and things we've talked about to the point where getting into the surplus and getting into the budget of how money is going to be spent isn't of very much interested to the public right now because of all the other issues that have been put forward uh, by, the, uh, the, by the DFL. And, and that's, that's, a, that's a problem. You know, they've done a good job at distracting everybody over these core issues that drive their voters, and the GOP does not do a good job of that. Well, I wonder if it really is an intentional distraction so much as I, I see Speaker Melissa Hortman as riding a bull, and the bull is her caucus. Uh, sh- she is a passenger on this thing more than a, a leader of it. And she has to, and it, it's not just her caucus, it's all the different constituency groups. We've seen multiple examples in committee and on the House floor of uh, elected Democrats telling us that a policy has to be a certain way because some other group that doesn't have election certificates 
outside the legislature has told them that that's what the policy needs to be. And so what that means is, is they, they've been having these little powwows um, with all of their constituency groups and deciding how to divide the spoils prior to the legislative session, certainly outside of the legislative process. And now they have to deliver on those promises and there's not enough to go around. And so, you know, I, I don't know that it's so much a conscientious plan to distract from the amount of money that they're going to spend, because ultimately that's all going to be right out in the open. We're going to be able to see it. It's going to be obvious what they're doing as they're doing it. And it is coming into focus what the ultimate result of the 2023 legislative session is going to be. It's just that they don't have a choice. They've committed themselves to a course and there's no getting away from it. So when you look at what's left, I mean, we just talked about it, budget and taxes, transportation, social security tax, there's the bonding, recreational marijuana, sports betting, (laughs) race and health equity. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Um, We've got until in the regular sessions got to adjourn by May 22nd. You're getting back to work this week. Do you think this all gets done in these in these coming weeks or are we looking at a at a special session that needs to be called in order to finish this work, even though the DFL has all the power and they could you know, potentially go and get this stuff passed? I think it's very important to the narrative that the Democrats are trying to craft for them to not only get done on time, but potentially get done early. And I think that's their plan. I think they want to get all this stuff wrapped up, uh, tie a little bow on the package of crap that they're handing the state of Minnesota, and then cl- and then turn to the people of Minnesota and claim, see, see how wonderful it is to have one party control of the state. See how efficient we are. Remember all those battles and special sessions and the difficulty and drama we had in the past. Isn't this much more pleasant? Isn't this nicer? <laughs> never mind the outcome. Never mind the actual tangible effect on your life and the fact that everybody's about to go bankrupt, both personally and organizationally. Um, but, you know, we got our job done quickly. So give us applause. Of the issues that are that are left, a um, couple of questions talking with Walter Hudson, state representative. Um, it certainly guns seem to be top of the list, at least in my mind. But where do you see um, opportunities of vulnerability? Uh, and then I have a follow up question on that. Vulnerability with the Democrats? Yeah, I mean, just op- opportunities. I know with guns, yeah. we're still we're still talking about the potential for some of those in the Senate. And I know you're in the House, but talking about those in the Senate, you know, that are in some of those districts that may not be as uh, open to some of these gun restrictions. I'm just wondering if there are any op- other opportunities and what still needs to be done of vulnerability for the uh, for the DFL. Well, I mean, it's hard to picture at this point because they've done. I mean, notwithstanding the incidents that we've cited of bills disappearing without explanation from the legislative process, which is a pretty clear indication that they don't have the vote. Whenever something has come to the floor in either chamber, uh, it has passed. They have kept their, they have whipped their caucus together. And so, you know, it, I, I would hope that you would be able to find at least one Democrat in the Senate who's willing to put a kibosh on these egregious uh, encroachments upon the Second Amendment. Um, but I guess we'll we'll wait and see. I think their real long term vulnerability is education. Yeah. Um, in fact, the 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 reason I'm not with you at 7:35 today is because I'm having an event at one of the public schools and I'm talking with some teachers in district uh, tomorrow. And I, I think education is a real opportunity for us as Republicans because they they are not getting what was promised them by the Democrats, and it, it's very apparent that they have just been a useful contingent or a constituency 
um, a useful electoral block for the Democrats and that they're not actually valued by the governing trifecta. Yeah, we're actually going to get into, not on that front, but we're going to talk a little education next hour. The controversial teacher licensure changes have been um, adopted now as it relates for teachers that want to renew their license or new teachers. Uh, This is the, you know, addition of the uh, CRT, that ESG and DEI that needs to be uh, go along with the the teacher getting their uh, license. So we're going to get into into that next hour. When it comes to the budget um, in the uh, MinPost piece, it says Democrats are likely to approve some Form of rebate check to taxpayers, a tax credit aimed at families with young children and at least reduce the state tax on Social Security benefits. Um, what do you think is going to happen with the potential for any of that surplus money to get back into the hands of the taxpayers? Not going to happen. I mean, look, you've got to look at it as a net, right? So they might engage in some gimmickry where they claim that they've given you some amount of that surplus back. But overall, your taxes are going up. Overall, the budget is going up by 40%. They're raising $2 billion in taxes, and they're doing it on the middle class. They're doing it regressively. They're doing it on everybody who has a car, okay? Um, everybody, everybody who gets deliveries to their home. Um, that's everyone. That's the poor. That's, that's all of us. So much for being progressive, right? Uh, so any illusion that they offer of we're giving you some of this money back is just that it's a trick they're spending it all and they're taking more do you think they'll have to do i know it ended up being sort of a wash but do you think that the dfl and the legislature will have to do something as it relates to a rebate a rebate just to give walls cover or you know are they bold enough to not give any rebate at all and walls you know can essentially point to the legislature and say well that's on that's on them which way do you think that's going to go down well what does he need cover for He's not up for election until 2026. That's true. Everybody's uh, attention span is about 30 seconds. <laughs> we saw what happened as soon as the election happened. They pivoted from they're going to give you a full repeal of your Social Security tax, and they're going to give you some form of rebate. They're going to return some amount of their surplus to you. They pivoted from that to, no, nope, we're just going to spit it all into hell with you. And they were just really explicit about it. They're just to your face telling you. I mean, the, the talking points got rolled out on the Social Security tax repeal right quick and all of a sudden it was hey uh, hey senior who's been working your whole life you're actually the rich and we're going to eat you you don't deserve i mean it was explicitly said by tax chair uh, gomez on the house floor that seniors who are having their social security taxed don't need that money that's what she said Ugh. you don't need your money okay so they revealed as is often the case after an election they revealed who they really are and what they really believe, which goes back to my previous point. When they have power, they do what they want to do. They don't ask you what you want. They only ask you what you want when they're looking for your vote. And we need to learn from that. You know, and that, you know, a, a statement like that, you know, typically would garner quite a bit of or should at least could, you know, garner quite a bit of commentary and controversy. But this this goes back a bit to what I was saying before, like in light of of all the other statements that have been made by DFL legislators that are so far even, you know, more fantastical and loony than that. You know, a comment like that just kind of goes unnoticed. And that's uh, just the place the place where we are right now, Walter, it's frightening. No, it is. And look, we are working at an institutional disadvantage. There's no doubt about it. You know, it's, it's a recurring theme. Yep. And I, was, I was telling some other folks that I know when I've got my message on point because nobody echoes it. <laughs> right? it's, 
it's, it's only when I'm, when I'm off tune or out of pitch that suddenly it gets picked up by major media outlets. And that's the game, right? Like they're not going to echo us when we're making the case. They're not going to echo the Democrats when the Democrats are off point, right? Like you didn't hear about that Gomez comment and you won't. Nope. So we're, we're working at an institutional disadvantage, but we cannot allow that to become an excuse for defeatism and for, for laying off and for not doing our job. We have other means of getting the word out. This is one of them. And we need to leverage those to the highest degree possible. Before I let you go, I wanted to uh, I wanted you to share a story. You uh, you had a conversation with a uh, constituent uh, that you uh, that you wanted to share. Yeah. yeah so I'll call her Gladys because that's a stereotypical uh, elderly lady name. Sure. And I was warned about Gladys uh, shortly after being sworn in by staff who told me that uh, she was somebody who had. Who likes to talk a lot and who calls quite a bit, and you're eventually going to have to put in some time with her just to hear her out. And that time finally came this weekend where I, I took an hour and a half and I sat on the phone and I listened to her uh, relay uh, her her long list of uh, dislikes with the status quo. And I got to tell you, it was an enriching and fulfilling experience. I, I, I wish I could do it once a week. Um, because what I heard from her is what I have not heard in terms of testimony and voices uh, on the House floor, uh, in committees, um, in the halls of the Capitol. Voices like hers don't make it into the process. And in a nutshell, what her point was is I, she's 75 years old. She has worked her entire life at times working three different full-time jobs in order to make ends meet. Um, and she's, she's done it all right. She's followed the rules. She's never been rich. She's never been wealthy. She lives a modest life. She's obviously in the twilight of her life, and she's just trying to enjoy what's left of it. And yet year after year, her property taxes keep going up, $500 a year on average. She's getting pushed out of her home. She's feeling the squeeze. She doesn't have her social security tax repeal. And it's folks like her, folks like us, folks, folks who, who've done it right, folks who are yep. following the rules and coloring within the, the lines, um, who have no voice, no impact on the process. And that is criminal. It's extraordinarily unjust. And that that goes to the type of vision that we need to cast in terms of an alternative. Like talking to her for an hour and a half got me thinking about how the, my vision for <laughs> what we should be doing in the state isn't ambitious enough because we need to find ways for, for uh, folks like her, folks who have, who have made it, who have run the race and, and gotten to the end. We need to find ways for them to be secure in their homes to never have to worry about the tax man coming and taking their house out from under them. Uh, we need to find ways for people to be rewarded for doing the right thing rather than being coddled for doing the wrong thing, for being a criminal, for not planning, for not taking responsibility for their lives. That's the vision. And I'm glad that she was able to help me try to formulate it. State Representative Walter Hudson, thank you for the time. Keep up the good work. We'll talk to you again next week.